0: Welcome to our podcast. We're a mother-daughter duo with a twist. I'm Taya and I was adopted.
1: And I'm Roz, her birth mom.
0: I went on a search at the age of 36 and I found her. Listen in as we come together to unpack the layers of our journey. Hello, iFounders. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we want to step into the world of mental health. With May being Mental Health Awareness Month, we thought we'd get a jump start and discuss a few things through the lens of adoption. So, jumping right in, let me check in with you first, Roz. How would you say your mental health has been since we started this podcast?
1: That's an excellent question, Taya. My mental health is sharp. It's more fine-tuned than ever before because of what we have been doing with this podcast. Isn't it funny how sometimes all it takes is one little shift in the dynamics of how you live your life and you can feel and breathe in so many things that never really seemed to be easy. But now I believe things are easier for me to manage and process through my brain to catch up and feel happier. So thanks for that question, Taya. How you doing today?
0: Wow, wow. Well, for me, I guess I'm on the opposite end of this. (laughs) Because I've (laughs) I've noticed an uptick actually in in my feelings of anxiousness um, since we started this journey. I think it's because it's a new thing that we're doing. And this time around, we're inviting listeners in to hear our thoughts and feelings about our different experiences that we've had along the way. Um, You know, as you know, recently I did a speech in my Toastmasters club titled, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And in that speech, I highlighted mental health. But what I also did was intertwine um, my being adopted with my own experience of seeking help so that I could share how important it is to give yourself permission to check in and seek therapy when needed. For me, I recognize that becoming a therapist has been rooted in my being an adoptee and working through all of those different emotions that I've had along the way of hurt and loss, anger. Again, that primal wound, if you will. What comes to mind for you here, Roz?
1: Well, since you brought up the primal wound, that was a check-in for me for, for mental health, and I think that when you gave your speech and you highlighted mental health and seeking help, it did you know that I never saw a therapist or sought counseling after I gave you for adoption? It wasn't on the radar. I think that social workers probably thought they were saying things to me in the form of a checkup on my mental health, but I didn't have a series of counseling sessions to help me go through that. I did receive counseling after my mother passed away, but that was my first time having counseling session. So it never happened after you were adopted.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think again it 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 speaks to culture and, and time and and the the perspective of therapy at that point compared to how it's evolving and becoming less of a stigma these days. So it makes sense to me that you did not have therapy at that point. And it also reminds me that I was informed by my adoptive mom um, as an adult that she actually did want me to have therapy when I was a teenager, but my father was not on board with that. And again, I think that is part of the culture and part of the time of thinking that you know, having someone on the outside to talk to isn't needed. It can be handled through faith or just talking with family and friends. So again, I think when we, when we look at May being Mental Health Awareness Month, what we're recognizing hopefully is that, you know, mental health is a, a very important topic. Um, It's something that all of us need to be able to do. We need to be able to check in with ourselves and note whether or not, if we're doing well or not so well, and to seek help um, when needed. As we prepared for this episode, um, one of the things that I did was I went back through some of the old files that I had saved when we attended the adoption knowledge conferences. We attended one in two thousand and eight. That's a long time ago. Um, yes. And and that was that was right around the time frame after we had met, right? Because we had our first our first meeting in in the Christmas framework of two thousand and six, and then two thousand and eight, we attended the adoption knowledge conference. And I've kept those notes since then. And when I went back oh, good. to look at you know how to prepare and talk about mental health in today's episode, one of the things that I found in those notes is that they talked a lot about the primal wound and they talked about mm. attachment. And even mm-hmm. one of the handouts was titled, Understanding the Trauma of Separation and Adoption. And that was just our last episode, wow. Wow. <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were even handouts about the legislative side of adoption and the it, the importance of opening up records. And again, I touched on that um, in our previous episode, and then even further. What I thought was interesting um, was that the conference itself was called Adoption, a Lifelong Process. And now that we've been in reunion for 16 years, there was a pause for me because I think early on I thought that I would be reconciling my adoption after I found you. But instead, what I've noticed is that I've experienced even a variety of other emotions post our reunion. And now I can actually see that, yeah, adoption is indeed a lifelong process. What about you, Roz? Um, Do you think that there are still some times that that you might be processing and reconciling some of your feelings about being a birth mom and how that decision kind of shaped your life?
1: Yes, I do. It's like my feelings about being a birth mother, as I said before, I feel more comfortable in my skin. I was always just, it was like a gray area. And I never really either gave it enough time or used mental health or what do you call uh, therapy Mm -hmm. to get through that. Mm-hmm. So it was just there, but it was stuck in a place that I didn't know how to release. So this podcast is like therapy for me. Oh. And who better to be my therapist than you?
0: Well, we got to be tied there. Yeah, because technically, right, you know, I'm not in a therapeutic relationship with you. But I do right. see how you're able to say and a and word that that I've kind of heard. People say quite often is there. There's this perspective of catharsis, the releasing yes. of emotions, because you're going back and revisiting past history. And I think we're creating a safe enough space that there's healing, right? Yes, yeah, that's so what I think it that is. Role is. I think that's what's happening for both of us. Is we're both experiencing a degree of healing by unpacking our past and connecting it to today. So yeah, very cool, very cool. So as we dip our toes in a bit further around this topic of mental health, I'd like for us to talk about five primary emotions that come up in the adoption triad. Anger, fear, Guilt and shame, we'll we'll put that as as a third, grief and loss as a fourth, and then joy. And we'll unpack each one. So let's start with anger. What I've read and want to convey here is that anger is the second universal emotion. It is also the most difficult emotion to deal with especially in its extreme form, rage. It is difficult to deal with because we either repress it or express it, I like to say there. Oftentimes, we don't even know the cause of our anger in the moment because we feel it in our body so quickly, then we react. And it can be the source of so much unhappiness, and unfortunately at times violence, but it can also initiate change in our lives. So my question for you, Roz, is first, how would you define anger? And then how have you experienced it negatively? And then we'll also layer in positively. So let's just take it in a few steps here. So first, Why don't you give me your sense of how you would define anger?
1: I defined anger probably on the tip of the scale, rage. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. When I was
1: little, I used to like to fight. I was a tomboy. Oh my. (laughs) Oh yeah, it would take just the littlest thing to make me wanna punch somebody. And of course, I'm not like that anymore. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I have learned to control my anger. I am learning so So much here. (laughs) There's lessons learned about anger. How we express it, like you said, is the bottom line. I don't know about if that transitioned me from negative to positive, but I don't have those feelings anymore. You know yeah it probably there are times when something makes me upset mm-hmm. but i wouldn't classify it as anger or rage yeah because yeah. i'm not a fighter anymore <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah and i think we we forget right anger is yes it's a very significant emotion but there's levels like annoyed frustrated irritated you know mm-hmm. so i think you're probably saying I've learned some skills along the way where I don't get to the rage or the, the mad, but yeah, there are things that occur that can cause annoyance and frustration yes. and irritation to me.
1: Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. human.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what, what would you say like when it talks about how, anger actually can initiate change in our lives I'm thinking and you let me know if if you were this tomboy and I'm just trying to imagine that now you were this tomboy that fought right and probably quite a few consequences probably occurred Mm -hmm. what would you say maybe motivated you to change that so that you weren't fighting as an adult
1: well, I'm sure it had a lot to do with the punishment I would receive <laughs> from my parents when I got into a fight. But also I'm not a real big fan of pain. Mm-hmm. I didn't wanna have bruised or bloody knuckles anymore. Yeah, I didn't wanna be knocked down if my opponent was winning the fight, which was rare. I usually won, but (laughs) anyway, that aggression, it kind of stirred up little things in my body and my mental system that just didn't feel normal. It was like, you know, you don't want to do this. You know, you don't want to be mean. How about being friends and smiling and laughing more? So I, That was the shift that I made, but I had to get older because I was just in that role of being a tomboy and really enjoying fighting with people. It was a sense of winning. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not going to push me around. You're not going to bully my sister anymore because she was a crybaby. But I loved her and I did everything to protect her, which meant I had to fight sometimes.
0: Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. So so what I'd like to do next is kind of um, break down this perspective of anger um, and use kind of a form of therapy that sometimes I will practice in my sessions known as CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And so there's four different components. So The first one is the actual event that takes place, which precipitates a belief, which then causes a feeling or sensation in the body, which then results in an action, a behavioral reaction or response. So let's break this down a little further. Let's say that an event occurs which I then would interpret through my own lens or filter based on my culture or previous experiences I've had. So depending on what that experience has been, my anger may occur if my belief towards it is that I'm being threatened or being Mm. trespassed against. Mm-hmm. That belief would then cause me to feel anger or fear, which mm-hmm. then would cause me to react towards that person. Is that making sense so far?
1: Yes. Yes, it does. Why do we react? Yeah. Uh, you know, as we get older, we think that we should pause a minute, mm-hmm.
0: step back
1: a minute, mm-hmm. think about what was really said or done and is it worth getting angry about yeah. or fighting for mm-hmm. so it the layers get more deeper when we get older but when we're young we like that immediate reaction right
0: right yeah yeah
1: so so
0: to connect it even further i'm going to add a, an example of me so if i you know reference the fact that i'm adopted right if, and so As an adoptee, if someone said to me, I should be able to move on, why do you still feel X and Y emotion about being adopted? Then I'm going to run that through my core belief that every child has a right to know their origin story. So then I would feel as if that person is threatening a basic right of mine Mm-hmm. Right. And then I would feel anger and I'd most likely react with some pretty passionate words. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And you would saying, have
1: every right to do that. <laughs> that's all I could say. Yeah. So I
0: think, right, that's that's kind of the breakdown of those four components. The event itself is it could be neutral. You know, someone said something. Right. But my interpretation of what they said, based on my core beliefs about that, what they said, generates a feeling in me and my body. And then out of that feeling, I then do a behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing is, what we want to hold for and what I think I heard you share earlier about your childhood is that can work to a negative when an event happens. Right. But it can also mm-hmm. become a positive. We can reframe how we interpret that event and have a different feeling and behavior instead of, you know, the negative, the fighting and whatnot. So right. any, any further, anything else that kind of comes to mind when you, when you think about those four parts to what we call CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy?
1: no but you know what i'm curious were you a tomboy when you were younger
0: <laughs> no 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 in okay. fact in fact one of one of the i'm trying to remember how did they say it when i was i'm remembering ah oh, i was called prissy
1: Ooh, yeah, yeah you're prissy <laughs> you're pretty prissy beautiful Yeah. Thank you. But yeah, I I, remember. I'm afraid I was never called prissy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely was not one. I mean, there were some fights, but I I did not know how to punch per se. I I look, yeah, I looked crazy when I when I fought, and I did not win (laughs) any of my fights. Wow, I'm having to really think about what, what did I do? I think I was very, yeah, I was very shy. I was very shy, uh, as a child. And I still kind of think that I have those attributes today that I'm more on the introverted side of things. So yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Oh
0: my gosh. So now let's connect this to our next emotion. The next emotion is fear. So we can take those same four components that I described and apply it to fear. I also think that it's important to mention, and I think you kind of alluded to this, that our bodies respond to our interpretation of the events. So just as anger is evoked, anxiety can be evoked in our bodies And usually if we pay attention, we notice that we start to have tense muscles, our heart rate kind of spikes, our brain kind of goes into what is called like an attack mode. So noticing what we feel in our body is significant. And and I've actually kind of used the words in the past, I'm flooded or I'm feeling flood There's some flooding going on. And that's usually my way of kind of identifying hey, something's changing in how my body feels based on what's happening. And I'm needing to connect with that to determine how I'm going to respond. So, another thing I think that's also important for us to connect on here, especially when it comes to mental health, is that we identify that when someone has had trauma in their past um, their bodies are already conditioned to kind of have a hyper arousal response to triggers so underneath anger generally there is pain and fear but yeah it all comes back to fear fear is oftentimes considered a great paralyzer we will fight flight or freeze because of fear. So what about you, Roz? Have you ever experienced the type of fear that's paralyzed
1: you? Well, I'm sure that when I discovered I was pregnant for you and was told to give you for adoption, there was fear. Mm Flight, not so much because I didn't have any place to go, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure it crossed my mind. I would probably not have been so fearful that I would run away from home and figure I could work it out on my own. But other experiences in my life, whether it was marriage or a job-related situation, I believe that In one of my jobs, when I was told I would be laid off, I felt like a fight. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I didn't like the feeling that was coming up because it's like, okay, you're an adult now, you can't fight this decision made. You have to accept it and move on and look for another job. But freezing, I don't know if I had that, maybe it just lasted for a little while. Like, how do you freeze before you take flight or fight? Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people have dreams, and I've had these, where you're running, you're running, and you feel like somebody's coming after you, and you can't speak. It's like nothing comes out of your mouth. And I think that's probably where I am now. It's like, how loud would I scream? How hard would I fight? to get out of that fear mode.
0: Mm.
1: And it's kind of questionable right now in my old age Mm. because I know that I'm not willing to fight and I'm not going to run away from a situation. I'm going to stand there, digest it, listen to it, and then decide through my experiences how I can resolve this situation that's causing me fear so it's amazing what age can do for you and experiences Mm -hmm. maturity exactly
0: yeah yeah I think again it connects back to like what you said you know as a child if you think about it if we just take the years of life at that stage we're much more prone to react in the moment and then experiences positive and negative shape us along the way and we learn that we can make choices all right and again emotions are necessary and when it's okay to have the feelings what's important is to learn how to manage those feelings because our body is designed to inform us because of a feeling to say, what's that about? What's going on here? What we have to learn is how to pause and like you said, digest. Okay, now based on what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what do I want to choose to do? And that's a skill. That's a skill that we learn and you've obviously learned that skill
1: along the way. (laughs) Thank goodness.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For me, what I would what I would add in is I kind of liken myself, my brain, kind of like to a phone that has several apps that are open. So I'm often operating with several apps open, which could be part of my overthinking and indecisiveness, which then would cause my battery to be running in the background of what I'm doing. So that sometimes I'm not always fully present in the moment. Um, They say that at the core of fear is the need to be in control. And I didn't really understand that until I got married. I just saw myself (laughs) as preferring things to be done a certain way, preferring that things be organized or done this way. And sometimes getting angry out of proportion to the situation and making my husband kind of question what's happening here. Um, And then at times too, I I would distance myself because something didn't happen the way that I would have hoped for. I can go on and on here, but yes, I would say fear is the app that kind of keeps running in the background for me. So Mm -hmm. what are you connecting the dots with so far as we unpack both of these emotions, anger and fear?
1: Well, I like the way you used the phone apps <laughs> running in the background. That was a, a good analogy. I think I have some apps that are running at the same time, but I think it's preventing me from reacting as quickly oh, as I used to. Okay. I think it's saying, okay, wait a minute, what's going on? Why is it happening? And do you really need to say something or do something about it. Is this really for someone else to handle? I think it's with age. Mm
0: -hmm. You
1: know, you just can close an app on your phone Mm -hmm. and move on to something else.
0: Good.
1: And that's what I do. It's like I make a decision. Do I feel like getting involved with this? And then making the decision, it's not that important. Or I don't need to do this. I'll let someone else handle it.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that. I like that. Okay, so let's let's dive into the next set of emotions, which I kind of think are a little bit more of a doozy, um, and that's guilt and shame. and And these two can be hard to define, and and oftentimes we use them interchangeably. But they really do mean two different things so let me start by giving a definition of each guilt is about what we do in other words doing something that offends or insults someone in some way when we feel guilty we know that we have intentionally wronged someone and again this is based on our beliefs or the culture that we were raised in Now, shame is defined as a sense that we are personally flawed in some way. There's this sense of inferiority, inadequacy, or incompetency, which we believe comes directly from being who we are. What goes along with these senses is the feeling that we are unworthy or unlovable. So it's not about what we have done, but rather it is who we are. Pretty big differences, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How how would you? Well, that
1: explanation, Mm -hmm. yeah, that explanation kind of makes me wonder if I've been getting upset over things that were not necessary. Mm -hmm. Like, was it really about guilt or shame? I have had guilt and shame mm-hmm. as a result of being a teenage mom and giving you up for adoption. So, And we've talked about it already. So I think that if we intentionally wrong someone and that defines guilt, I did not intentionally wrong you or anyone in my life. I firmly believe that. But yet I still felt guilt. So was it actually shame? Mm. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna have to sit on that for a moment and maybe come back in another episode and bring it up again if that's possible. Yeah. Because guilt and shame to me kind of went together. Mm -hmm. And now I'm hearing you say that they can be different.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think we tend to put those two together, but they do have a distinction between them because again, guilt is more about what we do, right? And and at times guilt is appropriate because right, we should feel remorse over certain things, especially if we intentionally wrong someone, there there should be remorse because what remorse can do is is lend toward acknowledging and and expressing an apology and then hopefully, you know, writing something wrong. The, The challenge is that shame comes in and we start having that inner critic in our head telling us something's wrong with us that we're a bad person, that we're not worthy. So that's where we got to get. We got to be careful because when we start saying those kind of things over and over in our head, then they become a belief. And Mm. then out of that belief, right, we can start making not so great choices.
1: Mm. Okay. It becomes engraved in our brain that either it's okay as a concept, or it's okay for me to do that, or react that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I I think it's definitely for us to talk through and notice, you know, in ourselves, because we can sometimes operate out of shame, and and that's not a healthy place to stay in, for sure. Not at all, right? In fact, let's kind of dig a little deeper in some of the research that I've done, it says that adoptees actually have a hard time letting go of guilt and shame because it is one of the most confusing and chaotic events that can happen in a young child's life to be separated from their parents. And the research says this is also the case for children of abuse or divorce as well, because in each of these events, the child ends up taking on the responsibility that they caused it. So then they take on the core belief and then it becomes entrenched into who they are, even when that irrational part of their brain can reason that they couldn't have caused this, they will still hold on to that core belief that it was their fault. It's also written in the research as well, that birth mothers will feel guilt and shame for having placed their child. Their shame is in their not having been able to override all that advice that they were getting from, say, their parents or the social workers or others. And so then they may feel that something must have been intrinsically wrong with them if they were not able to defy everyone and say, I want to keep my baby. What do you think in there?
1: That's exactly what happened. I think I was too young to move those thoughts around Mm
0: -hmm.
1: quick enough because I believe there was a short time frame. Like, you know, here's the deal and you have to make a decision right now. So how do you make a quick decision on a lifelong effect. Wow. That was mostly for you, but also for me. And I was led to believe I could move on, not knowing that the trauma would be lifelong for both of us. Mm. So I think that, oh, shame and guilt, fear, loss we carry all of that and through perhaps this podcast we're kind of relinquishing some of those thoughts little by little Mm -hmm. of what happened in the past. i think simply because our life is so wonderful now yeah you know we could read books and watch movies and i'm watching a long lost family Mm -hmm. series on cable right now. And 95% of them are looking for their birth mom. Yeah. It's not that they don't care about their birth father, but that's their connecting point. And I always felt that way with us that we needed to connect first, I believe, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to get over all this other stuff before we can connect with others And I just love what I'm learning from you and from all of this. And even this this TV series that I'm watching, there's a lot of success, but oh boy, lots of pain, lots of crying, very little rejection. And that was the best part. But the decades in between finding out they were adopted, and finding a birth parent that almost matches what we encountered. So something that's going on in our head, do we not want to feel like something was wrong with us and then defy decisions made for us? Mm. It de- I think it depends on how old you are.
0: Mm-hmm. to be able
1: to handle that. And some people, no matter the age, they're more mature than others. Yeah. And I don't think I was mature enough to move okay. forward with a different decision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's actually um, the research and the science that says that our brain is not fully developed like the what they call the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain at the forefront that is able to have logic and reasoning until the age of 25 they may have moved it up wow. to 26 and so so when you think uh, about how long it takes for the rational part of our brain to come online as they say fully if you're 16 17 18 19 20 you know it's it can be very challenging to have the perspective especially if there are other people involved to fully digest like you said earlier how do i make this decision you know and i think that's where the anxiety part comes in of the fight flight or freeze you know and 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 so making a lifelong decision in a short amount of time also based on the fact that I'm young, it's very challenging. It's very difficult to make, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. those type of decisions. So, yeah, yeah. I think, I think what we, what we can do is I know we've gotten through three of the five that i have kind of identified emotions around adoption and mental health, but I think that we can make a part two, to this topic, right? And maybe roll it over to our plans to do a Mother's Day episode in a couple of weeks. What do you think about that? I love it. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it'll work out just fine because the next two emotions that we wanna unpack are grief and loss and joy. And both of us are gonna be honoring our mothers who have passed away and, and we can definitely spend some time celebrating their lives and the joy that we experienced in those relationships. So does that sound
1: pretty good? It sounds perfect. <laughs> mother's Day, Yay! recognition, yeah. celebration, <sighs> our mothers, mm-hmm. and me as a mother and any of our listeners wow. who are mothers, whether birth number, mothers, adoptive mothers soon-to-be mothers Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a beautiful topic that I look forward to talking about
0: all right then okay so then with that everyone we hope you enjoyed our show today and if you're not subscribed please go ahead and do so also we'd appreciate if you would leave us a five-star review because it will boost our ratings (laughs) And help more people to see your show on Spotify, Google, and Amazon Podcasts. And then be sure to come back on May 3rd as we celebrate our mothers in that episode. And we get that there are many podcasts out there. And we are both so happy that you choose ours as one of your favorites. So until then, this is Tay and Roz, where we talk all things adoption and reunion, but with a twist.